We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna Harden in motion, here we go, fourth and goal, McGuire, and he is in for the Jets! And the Jets in front, with 117 left! Welcome everybody to another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was Spiro Dinas, my man from CBS Sports. <sighs> what a weekend, folks. What a weekend. You want to talk about, I mean, Ellen versus Darnold, chapter one. I, I, I think, in my opinion, it was as good as advertised. A lot of stuff happened. But before we launch into any football conversation, the Rock Pile Report cares about its listeners. And as such... We have a PSA of sorts for you. You had a tough day tailgating, so you walk to the stadium, take a roadie, finish someone else's drink from an unmarked container, cheer on the bills, swear at children. Fun, right? Wrong. Don't finish someone else's drink from an unmarked container. Ladies and gentlemen, as at the age of five, we're all taught not to accept candy from strangers. Or get into an unmarked van for candy. I mean, they teach, you, they teach you this as a child. And yet apparently at the age of 30-something, some of us need to be reminded of this. Chris? It's easily the adult version of it. You drank something out of an unmarked container from somebody outside of the stadium. Folks, what? here's what I do know. I don't know much. I don't know much. Out, I mean, I know football. I know the Buffalo Bills. I know my way around a keg. And I know how to make a mean meatloaf. You know how to eat a pepper whole. (laughs) I know a handful of things. Here's what I didn't know. And I guess I need to to be re-educated on. When I think of someone getting roofied, think about that for a second, or being slipped a Mickey, right up until the whole Bill Cosby thing, I always pictured that it would happen in some kind of a fraternity party. 
or a shady basement somewhere. You know, it's, it's some kind of shady basement gathering. Or in North Collins. Not a goddamn sporting event. And certainly not to a 30-something-year-old, 215-pound man with a naturally crooked hairline and bulldog teeth. But, but here we are, Chris. Here we are. It was a hell of a scene. That's how I found myself, ladies and gentlemen, Sunday afternoon at New Era Field off my fucking rocker. Okay, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not happy about this. It started out harmlessly enough. I'm walk, we leave the tailgate. We pa- six, wildly successful tailgate. Had a lot of people who don't normally come show up. Everybody had a blast. We had heaters. We had food. Everything. We got the truck unpacked. Everything put up. Everything packed away without a hitch. Chris, it might have been the most organized tailgate we've thrown all season. I don't know where you get this this uh, we stuff. I was at our seats first, followed by Dan, followed by Potter, followed by you. Nobody came to their seats with somebody. Everybody <laughs> showed up singularly. You were last as usual, so I don't know what you were doing. I, I was actually walking with my friend Mark and his friend Don. And Mark had Mark had, had some had some cocktails. Oh, he did have some cocktails. So I was walking that with them to the gate, and then they peeled off to go to their entrance. And I said, you know, gate five is much closer to the scoreboard side. I'm going to peel off here. I'm going to I'm going to take the long walk around the stadium. I'm, it's the, the the sun's out. It's warm enough. I don't even have a coat on. It's just me and my Thurman Thomas retro jersey. I'm having a blast out here. No jacket. The breeze is nice, but I'm warm. Life was great. I had one beer, and in the words of my wife, you didn't seem that drunk when you left the tailgate. You get to a spot at the front of the stadium where you have to finish your beers before you can get in line. And that's where it started. I walk up, I'm finishing my, I walk up to the circle of people surrounding the trash can where everyone throws their cans away. There's a group of, I mean, I'll say this now, nerds, absolute nerds, 40-something-year-old dorks. I mean, the kind of guy who looks like he rocks white New Balance, stark white New Balance with the non-sneaker cut jeans, Chris, like the old man pants. I don't know why you're talking about men's fashion, you know. Like a braided, <laughs> like, like a guy who would just... You absolutely uh, know nothing about men's fashion, so... Literally, a guy in his 40s with his equally nerdy looking friends and his hipster wife and... They're just standing around this garbage can. I come up and I'm finishing my beer and we start making small talk. And I see that they're passing around this bottle, unmarked container, and I and the guy says, hey, do you want some? We're heading in. And I ask him what's in it, and he says, oh, yeah, it's just Kraken and Gatorade. I look at it, and it's a black liquid. It's black, which is Kraken, if anybody's familiar with the, the spiced rum. So I say, sure, why the hell not? What's the worst thing that could happen? Chris, tell the people what happened to me when I got into the stadium. Eight, you were fine. You were fine when, obviously, missed kickoff. But you were fine when you got in the stadium. It was towards the end of the first quarter when it all you, were, you stopped cheering. You were sitting down, hands over your eyes, sunglasses off. Uh, you didn't have your phone. Somebody called your wife or texted your wife. It wasn't me. Even if you asked me to do that, I would have been like, you're fine. <laughs> Quit being a bitch. So she showed up. She thought you were drunk, which drunk people don't say, why is my tongue so heavy? And why are my feet so far away from my body? Folks, at one point in time, I was trying to cheer. 
I believe it was, I, I mean, I remember bits and pieces of this, but I was a mess and it was not alcohol related. And that's the thing that terrified me. I do remember you cheering during TV timeouts. I tried to cheer during TV timeouts. I didn't really understand what was going on. And at one point during, I, I believe it was a late goal line stand on one of their touchdowns where they were close to the end zone. I started banging on the bleachers like I was going to try to, you know, that's my MO. I bang the bleachers, I cheer, I make as much noise as humanly possible because I'm trying to help out the defense. And I banged on the bleachers for about five seconds and all of a sudden, like, realized I wasn't even paying attention to the game anymore. I was just staring at my own hands and just contemplating what they were and how they functioned. No, you you did bang on the bleachers, but you, <laughs> I think in your head you were doing it, like, as hard as you could, but... It was so soft. <laughs> it was so soft. Folks, I guess what I'm trying to say here is it happened to me and I'd like to pass on the I'd like to pass this on to you guys. You have to be careful out there. Okay? And I, I got cocky. You know, I walk around, like I said, 215 pounds, just uh, just under six feet tall, and, and I'm not exactly an attractive man. So You're I'm, ugly. I'm, I'm generally speaking not worried about what's gonna happen to me when I walk out there. When I talk to strangers, when I accept things from strangers, because I guess I never saw myself in this position. And after experiencing something like that, it changes the way I look at all of this. (laughs) Chris, I I get camaraderie. But now I'm going to second guess anytime somebody asks me to take a a stranger, offers me something out of a flask or out of a container I don't But as you should, as we all should. So if there's anything our listeners can take away from this story... For the love of God, take care of yourselves out there. Don't end up like me, okay? Laying down on the bleachers asking people where your feet are and why they're so far away from your body. Okay? Don't don't be like me. Jesus, Chris. All right, let, let, let's get this show on the road. We've bored the people enough. We're going to open this up as we always do with the Bills News Update. <laughs> Injury news this week, linebacker Matt Milano and cornerback Teron Johnson are both headed to the injured reserve. They're going to be without both of these. Chris, I I think you can at this point in their careers call them both impact players. Even though they've only been around for a combined two seasons, what, three seasons? Yeah, I believe that. Matt Milano's played well last year, played even better this year. I mean, Teron Johnson, let's start there. A fourth-round draft pick. Generally speaking, for the Buffalo Bills, the fourth round has been an abomination. I mean, Avion Black, wide receiver, uh, linebacker named Brandon Spoon. Uh, Don't be shocked if you don't know who these people are. They're all fourth round draft picks of the Buffalo Bills. We had a stretch during the drought where every fourth round draft pick we took spent no time on another NFL roster after they left our team. That's how bad we were in drafting in that round. Fast forward to Teron Johnson. Teron Johnson, he came into the, he essentially was fighting for a cor- starting cornerback job with, uh, what's his face there? Philip, uh, the, the, the elusive, the, the elusive Philip Gaines. Oh, I better say Vontae Davis. And he ended up beating out Gaines for the starting job there. And then throughout the season posted solid coverage grades. I, I think it's good, considering the nature of the injury, I think we're lucky in the sense that he's, he's got his feet wet. He proved that he can be a playmaker in this defense and that he can at least hold his own, even as a rookie. And heading into and that the injury itself isn't one that's going to impact his speed or his ability to cover. It's a shoulder injury. It's a contact injury. 
I mean, those are fluky enough. And the fact that he's tough enough to play through it for weeks the way that he did speaks to what kind of a player we're going to be getting back next training camp. Milano, his injury is a little bit, oh, that's a little bit tougher, Chris. That's a hard one for me to swallow. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was there mentally, so, I mean, I saw it, and it looked brutal. That's I, I, I looked up at one point and just saw a crowd of people, and at that point, he was already being loaded onto the cart. And that's the first time I realized something was even wrong. I mean, that goes to tell you where my head was that day. But just looking at him, looking at the strides that he made from last season to this season, you're talking about a guy who couldn't beat out Ramon Humber for a starting job last year. Yeah, Ramon Old Man Humber couldn't couldn't be beaten for a job by Matt Milano at the start of last season. This year, not only did he lock down the job, but he he Chris. When you talk about a guy, he's only he's not that big. He's not a big physical impact linebacker. But game after game after game, whether it was interceptions, whether it was fumble recoveries, whether it was tackles for loss, the guy just finds his way to the football. And that that might be more important than any physical metric that exists out there. Yeah, he's pretty good. <laughs> that that's your that's, that's your my, synopsis. That's <laughs> my uh that's Expert good. production analysis. Yeah, it's pretty good. Sucks that he's out. I mean, well, not really. It's uh, might be good that he's out because now we're gonna just lose out the rest of the way. I mean, he's gonna better fin- draft pick. I mean, look at this, Chris. By the numbers, he's gonna finish twenty eighteen. If you just look at him compared to other linebackers, his stats are impressive. Thirty eighth in the NFL in tackles. Okay. Fourth in passes defended, tied for second in interceptions, and number one in recovered fumbles. The guy just has a knack for getting to the ball. And that's a hell of a season for a second-year kid out of Boston College who was drafted in the fifth round. That's a fifth-round pick. Huge find for this organization. Huge. I mean, and you know, McDermott addressed the media this week and said that he's confident that he's going to be available heading into OTAs next year, which is big. Because you're gonna be that means next year you're gonna be fielding a healthy Milano who's kind of stepped up in that playmaker turnover kind of turnover producing role. Lining him up next to a second year player in Trey Edmonds, who's kind of coming onto his own. This linebacker core is really starting to come together, Chris. That's huge. Now, without him for the last three games, it's gonna be interesting to see what the team does to try to fill that hole. When you look at what they have behind him in linebackers, there's really not a lot there. I mean, last season, we learned Lorenzo Alexander cannot be trusted in coverage. So he's not going to get... I mean, I know I saw a lot of people talk about how it doesn't matter because Lorenzo Alexander is going to be in there. He is a very one-dimensional player at this point in his career. He doesn't have the athleticism to get out in space and cover. He's a good in-the-box, rundown, and pass-rush linebacker. He's not good when he has to cover running backs in the flat or when he's being asked to cover tight ends. So I think the duties are going to fall to somebody else. You're going to be looking at either, when you look at Deion Lacey or Julian Stanford are really the only two behind him on the linebacker depth chart. I think Stanford is going to see more significant playing time. That's just because he had one start this season when Milano missed a game. And you look at the fact that he is a veteran. And when he started, he had a forced fumble, a tackle for a loss, a sack, and 14 total tackles in that game. That's pretty That's pretty solid production by comparison to a guy like Deion Lacey, who is essentially a special teamer. The other thing I think is what they'll do to supplement that is that 
I mean, he would, Chris, he would be playing if he was as talented as Milano is. He would be starting already. So with that, I expect to see more of a, maybe an extra safety on the field in obvious passing situations. Now, the question for Bills fans is, do you put a guy like a, like the veteran Raphael Bush? He's come in at times in that role where, hey, we need a third safety on the field. We're going to put him in there. But don't you think, Chris, there's a little bit of logic to putting a guy like Saran Neal, our rookie draft pick from this past draft, put him out there in that role. That's what you drafted him to be. See if he can go out there and play it. Sure, why not? We're out of the playoffs. Let's yeah. do it. Do you think there's any harm in that? No. Seeing if the guys can play. I mean, I don't know. All I know is come Sunday, that's that's a wrinkle I'm going to be watching in terms of Sunday's game. And good luck to you, Matt Milano. We will see you in 2019. Chris, cheers. Cheers the man. Next up on the docket, one of the reasons I despise doing early podcasts. Last week, we did our show on Monday. We wouldn't have had that problem if your goddamn wife didn't have a friggin' ah. Christmas party in the first, second week of December. It's bullshit. We recorded our last show on Monday, and on Tuesday, the Buffalo Bills made the groundbreaking announcement that they had released Kelvin Benjamin, the just off-maligned wide receiver that they traded for, what, last October? Something like that. Yeah, he was here like one calendar year. He was here for a little more than one calendar year. You miss all this, all of this stuff when you record too early, so... But I'm not going to bore you to death with our reactions because, I mean, everybody has pretty much beaten that horse to death. Chris, what are your thoughts on it? If you have any final thoughts on his release and what it might mean for the team. I mean, Kansas City's got pretty good barbecue. I mean, <laughs> I mean, what else is there to say? Chris, the, the I love your nuanced uh, analysis over here. I fucking love it. I mean, what? Am I not right? You got like Kansas City barbecue, Carolina barbecue, which he came from, Carolina barbecue. Folks, when you think about the, what the release means, I mean, I want to take it a step farther and just a little bit of analysis here. I take a look at what his, well, first of all, when we traded for him, th- there was an acknowledgement. You're talking about in a season where you just traded away a wide receiver who was your former number one in Sammy Watkins. But the only reason you did it was because you knew you were getting back in a simultaneous trade a former number one receiver from another franchise. So you brought in a wide receiver there. You went out in the offseason and you also traded for another wide receiver this year in Corey Coleman. You traded away a seventh round pick to obtain a, another former first round talent. You're talking about moves. I'll say this. Everyone likes to bash Brandon Bean. I've seen a lot of that on social media. I've heard a lot about it just from other Bills fans. Here's what I'll say. I have a lot of respect for what Bean is doing here with this position. You look at it. He went, They made it a priority. They tr- twice this season tried to pick up Isaiah McKenzie from the Broncos before finally landing him on waivers when he was cut and didn't. nobody could get in front of him. No one could get in front of Brandon Bean from scooping up Isaiah McKenzie. They went out and got undrafted free agent Robert Foster. He was a priority undrafted free agent for them in the offseason because Brian Dable, our offensive coordinator, was familiar with him and said, look, his skill set might work with what I'm trying to build here. All of the moves that Brandon Bean has made 
You can bash him for wasting draft capital. It underscores the fact that he got here and realized just how bad our wide receiver group really is. Chris, look around the league. Unless you have an elite quarterback, you have to have a talented stable of wide receivers. We ended up somehow with neither. Neither a talented quarterback or talented wide receivers. Yeah, it goes back to what I said a couple weeks ago about uh, Dable and the cookies. You don't have his ingredients at wide receiver that he needs. We'll get that in the offseason and, and free agency and draft. But I'd argue that you can't blame Bean then for trying to make these sorts of moves. Trading for guys like Kelvin Benjamin. Trading for guys like Coleman who ultimately don't work out. At least, it's if anything, it underscores the fact that he understands the fact that they need to find better talent at these positions. That alone should make Bills fans feel a little bit better about things heading into the offseason, shouldn't it? Yeah, I think they'll get it figured out this offseason. I mean, they almost have to. It can't get worse than it currently is. You've got, you, you as we're going to talk about here in a second, you've got a lot of underwhelming talent that's overperforming its ass off right now for you. But this whole season has been about finding a mix of guys that works. They've shuffled through bodies. They've shuffled through ideologies at the position. Nothing has worked, but you're seeing it start to turn a corner. And I'd argue that that's happening because everybody's getting a crack at this. They are literally taking the bag, Chris. They've overturned the apple cart at wide receiver. And now they're shaking it out just to see if there's anything left in there before they completely scrap the thing and start over again. And I think that that's a wise choice as a franchise. And we saw a lot of that this weekend when I went back and rewatched the game, thank God. In our Week 14 recap, Chris, the New York Jets won 27, the Buffalo Bills 23. Stats of the game, quarterback Josh Allen, 18-37 for 48%, 206 yards, Zero touchdowns, two interceptions, 44.4 passer rating. Quarterback Sam Darnold, 16 of 24, 54%, 170 yards, one touchdown, one interception, 83.7 rating. Bills total yardage, 368. Josh Allen total yardage, 306. 83% of the entire total of the team. Bills running backs, 78 yards rushing, zero touchdowns. Josh Allen, 101 yards rushing, one touchdown. Wide receiver Robert Foster, eight targets, seven catches, and 104 yards. New York Jets, six of 13 on third down, good for almost 50%. Sam Darnold, two of three on deep passes for 62 yards. Josh Allen, three of eight on deep passes for 74 yards. Chris, Chapter 1, Josh Allen versus Sam Darnold. I think, personally, it was as good as advertised. Yeah, it was fantastic. I wish you were uh, there mentally and not in Narnia, but it was a hell of a game. Allen ran all over the place. Sam Darnold made some insane throws that you just, like, yeah, like the the corner were, were covering the receivers, but it was just the perfect throw, perfect location. Only the receiver could get it. Darnold looked Fantastic to me, as good as advertised. Well, that's just it. I mean, that was my takeaway from re-watching the game over an NFL Game Pass. Just watching it. Allen came out early and just had that gunslinger mentality. I mean, you saw a killer instinct in Josh Allen 
that I haven't seen in a Bills quarterback in a long time. There was this that you uh, missed because you weren't there mentally. I think it was third, might have been like third and six or longer. Uh, I think it was Robert Foster's ran a go route down the sideline. Josh Allen threw it. Pass interference. It was amazing. <laughs> I don't think I've seen that in like three years of podcasting where, oh, let's just throw down. Let's just take a shot down the field and let's hope we can get a PI call. I've never seen that before. This is awesome. I mean, it was incredible. And the Bills taking early. I mean, you look at what this game was just in terms of game script. The Bills taking an early lead because Allen's the superior athlete. At the same time, the Jets rally. And at halftime, Darnold comes out and composes himself. Completely rebounds in the passing game. You look at that fourth quarter, the Jets finally take away Allen's legs. The offensive leaks kind of start to start to show up, giving Allen just limited time in the pocket. Darnold comes in in that second half and shows why he was the second quarterback taken. Those passes he made. Chris, the pass to Robbie Anderson down the sideline for almost, I think it was like 52 yards. Is that the setup the game winner? That was the setup. That is a pass that is everyone's like, oh, Trey White had a rough day trying to. That ball was thrown where there, there's a lot of veteran quarterbacks, a lot of Ryan Tannehills, and a lot of uh, Jameis Winston's who can't throw that pass as effortlessly as it looked like Darnold did. They just can't. And at the same time, the 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 scrambling touchdown. He ran for, in order to th- just to put that pa- that pass play in context. The touchdown where he threaded the needle into coverage, blanket coverage in the end zone. We all oohed and odd last week, or at least yeah, last week against the Dolphins, where Josh Allen scrambled and scrambled and scrambled around the field, and then cocked back and threw what would have been the game-winning touchdown pass to Charles Clay. This week, Sam Darnold's scramble before he threw that touchdown pass into coverage is the longest 48.2 total yards he ran. If you count the way he drifts to the right sideline, bootlegs back around, comes back around to the left hash mark, and then sets his feet and throws, that's the farthest any quarterback has run and then thrown a touchdown pass in two years. That's incredible. We said he's going to be good. Telling you, the kid was sharp. And then the game, the game comes down to the final possession with the Buffalo Bills having a game-winning drive at their hands. I mean, just if you're watching this game half play out in real time and you're not watching it like I was, knowing how it ends, you're on the edge of your seat. I mean, that's what we all came here for, right? Those are the types of games that you you live for. We have it right here, and it's either going to be heartbreak or it's going to be something amazing that we talk about for weeks. It's That's football right there. That game, in and of itself, in a nutshell, is what I want to see out of Buffalo Bills football again. I want to see that more weeks than not. And watching Josh Allen and Sam Darnold square off like that, I Chris, I'm excited. I'm excited to see. You what... laughed at me last week when I told you it's going to be like Kelly and Marino. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is it's the next. Uh, we haven't had that. I think we literally have not had this in the AFC East since literally Kelly and Marino. It's just incredible to me that there's a, a a noteworthy rivalry at the quarterback position. For just 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 in this one game, you can see it. 
Two guys who are going to go out there and just make some plays. They're going to both make plays that nobody else in the division can make. And at the same time, they're going to lead, they're going to go head-to-head and somebody's going to walk away with a loss. Somebody's going to walk away with a win. I'm excited about the next time we get to get together and do it. I can't wait. Now, one of the other things I noticed, Chris, I kind of banged on this drum last week. Buffalo's biggest offensive investments failed us again. Again. Once again, we are here talking about the failure of our most expensive players. Tight end Charles Clay, running back LaShawn McCoy. Their total stat line reads three targets, one drop behind the line of scrimmage on a screen pass, one wide open drop for a first down for six yards, one catch, no, no, one wide open drop for a first down, six total receiving yards, and one total rushing yard, Chris. Total cost? The salary associated with these two players, $17.95 million. On the opposite side of the coin, wide receiver Zay Jones, wide receiver Robert Foster, and wide receiver Isaiah McKenzie. Total stat line, 24 targets, 173 receiving yards. Four rushes for 22 yards and a touchdown. Total salary, $2.1 million. It's absurd! It's crazy to me. You out there as fans thought that eating $50 million in dead cap. Oh my God, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. This is so stupid. You know what's even dumber than that? Is hanging on to over $20 million in the form of Kelvin Benjamin, LaShawn McCoy, and Charles Clay, who give you nothing on a week-to-week basis. That's what's stupid to me. You think it's crazy? We essentially have gotten no return on investment for what is essentially $75 million of our 2018 cap space. And this game was another blatant indictment of it. Chris, you can't pay two players almost $18 million and get nothing. Literally nothing. Well, we, you can't. <laughs> we were. <laughs> We were live uh, on Periscope at halftime, and I think you're, as you called it, for our uh, halftime adjustments, keys to victory. Oh, Jesus. Because we did keys to victory at did halftime. Did I say that? Yeah, oh, you did. The whole, I kept trying to, recor- to to correct you, and you kept going, yeah, keys to victory. It's halftime. Uh, you said, uh, number two, uh, get Charles Clay involved. That was your number two halftime. I, I couldn't tell that he was even out there. And even watching the game at home, I still had no idea that he's out there for most plays. He played 55% of the snaps. Are you kidding me? You've got a $9 million tight end who's playing 55% of your team's snaps, and all I get is one catch for six yards? Are you out of your mind? Are you crazy? (laughs) Folks, I understand... I understand a lot of people's frustration with where this offense was was to start the season. And a lot of it stems from this. The fact that we leaned on overpaid windbags at running back and tight end and wide receiver. Three of the most important offensive positions that we expected were going to buoy the performance of our young quarterbacks. They folded. They, they were non-existent. They were ghosts. Literally, they collected their game check. I don't even know what for. Chris, what have they done to earn it? Oh, nothing. It's it's incredible to me. And that's, and that's, I guess, what's staggering to me is that I'm watching this and I'm looking at the statistics pile up. When did our offense start to turn around? 
Oh, I know. When we started getting guys who were young and hungry and maybe a little bit underpaid for what it is they're doing here in the NFL. When we got those guys involved, your Robert Fosters, your Isaiah McKenzie's, when we got these guys going, all of a sudden our offense started to function like a real NFL offense. I mean, for people who might not remember, we were on pace to be the worst offense in NFL history. And then we turned around and went toe-to-toe with, yes, we're not a great football team and neither are the Jets. But when you play a 27-23 to game, that speaks to the fact that you might not be the worst to ever pick up a football and try to throw it around. It coincides with us phasing out these older, overpaid players. That is what sticks out to me. And I think it's going to continue. And I also think that Charles Clay should watch his ass. Because think back to what happened to Kelvin Benjamin. Kelvin Benjamin, out of nowhere, was given 60% of the snaps in one game, and he didn't perform, and the very next week he was cut. Charles Clay just got handed 55% of the snaps in this game and didn't produce. If he, Given how the season is just winding down at this point, if he goes another week like that on Sunday against the Lions, where he sees about 50-60% to 60% of the snap share and produces nothing, Chris, what's the team's incentive to keep him around? Nothing. They can cut. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they they cut him. Is he the, How many? What's his contract? How many more years does he have left? He has two more years, or at least one more year after this. But if we cut him in the off season, we can actually save four and a half million dollars in cap space. And then the dead cap is the same, like four. Dead cap is four point five, but his contract's nine million dollars. So we're saving four and a half. I'm telling you, Clay. If I'm you, I I get some movers on standby, pal. Because at this point, you've, I think, in my opinion, you've played your way out of here. Another gentleman who is playing his way out of town as we speak. I have some notes here, Chris. Because I documented the special teams plays that, in my opinion, almost directly led to the Buffalo Bills loss this week. In fact, I think they were one of the most damning things about the entire game. Rewatching it the way that I did. I didn't even know you could write. Special teams melted down on Sunday, and I think cost us the game. If I had to point a finger, that's where it would be. Because I sure as hell can't say that our quarterback didn't at least try to get us a victory. I can't say that our defense didn't get turnovers, didn't get takeaways, didn't make impact plays and force punts. But in a game that's based on field position, you cannot have the type of mistakes we saw out of our special teams unit on Sunday. So, for those of you out there who are wondering, maybe, you know, I don't understand why Danny Crossman's under so much fire. Here's what I saw. I broke down each one of the plays. First and foremost, on the 51-yard kickoff return, when you watch the play develop, you've got three players. You've got Julian Stanford, you've got uh, somebody, another linebacker, and another tight end. You've got all these players, they're coming down, they're coming down the field, the ball's in the air. Everybody has a lane. For those of you out there who have never never covered special teams, never played a snap of special teams when they did play football, everybody has a lane and a man. It's 11 on 11, and there's no wedge anymore, so it's not like you have to try to gang up and break this, break through a wall of humans. It's hat on a hat football down there. The thing that screwed us on that play is when you watch it, three of our players just drive directly into two of them and yet somehow get bottled up. 
They trip and fall all over each other. You essentially have three guys who should be covering three lanes, and they get vacuumed into one. They're bottled up by two guys in front of them, and the guy who should be being blocked in the third lane just seals the edge real easily. He puts almost no effort into it, giving the returner, Anderson, a huge crease to run through. It it blew my mind. That's not a thing that should happen. It's like in hockey. Three people, or basketball, three players should never be in the same spot at the same time. It just shouldn't happen. And yet it did on that play. The one that I thought was worse, the 86-yard return. The 86-yard return that set up the first Jets touchdown. Two blatantly missed tackles in the open field. And then the backside defenders, when you watch the returner cut it back across the field on the return and nobody's there to get him, it's because the backside defenders wildly overpursue. I have no idea where they thought they were going. They chased the ball that they couldn't see. And then by the time they realized where he was going, it was too late for him to get back. Chris, it's a group of players who, yes, you are not talented enough to go start. But here's the damning thing to me. How many players has this Buffalo Bills team let go over the years? Think about it. Running back Jonathan Williams. We drafted him in the fifth round, but we cut him for Marcus Murphy because, or eventually the spot Marcus Murphy held, but we cut Jonathan Williams because he would not play special teams. We've cut a lot of players with talent on either offense or defense, specifically because they do not play special teams. You would think that as a head coach, if that is your mindset, I need multifaceted players that your special teams unit would be better than this, right? Yeah, uh, I'm quite surprised that you did not go over uh, Stephen Hauschka's soccer tackle. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. This is not European football. You don't slide at people's... Oh, my God. Chris, can we please... Can we please... I, I just... I'm going to try to be as nice as I can be about this because... I know that our friend of the show, Reed, is a big fan of Steven Hauschka. And I know that Reed's a big fan of soccer. You know what? This is football! You tackle! You put your helmet down and you hit somebody! There is no... Well, Chris, that's a 15-yard penalty if he slide tackles somebody like that in the middle of a football game. Yeah, tripping. That's tripping! <laughs> I'm sorry, you are not on a soccer pitch! Get off your ass and make a tackle! Ugh... <laughs> oh. I mean, Chris, there's only, when you have failure that's this widespread across a given unit, you you can't fire every single player. So who's the one person you hold accountable for it? Danny Crossman. I cannot believe he is. You're damn he, right. I cannot believe he has survived three coaching staff. <laughs> I don't understand three. it. But I, but I feel like he's another guy who needs to, I don't know. Get get the moving trucks on standby. Hey, if you need any extra boxes, I've got plenty from when I just moved into my house. I will bring them to you, all right, Danny? Just let me know. Give me a call. But the overarching high point that I want to walk away from this game with is sort of an extension of last week. The continuing evolution of Josh Allen. It's really starting to get on my nerves, Bills fans. I, Chris, I guarantee you, the people out there complaining that Josh Allen is running too much are the same people who have been bitching up a storm since the beginning of the season that Buffalo Sabres star center Jack Eichel is not scoring enough. 
Okay, yeah, I get that. Eichel, yeah, Eichel's, I think he's got, what, seven goals? And how many assists? He's 11th in the NFL in points! NHL. NFL. You people are, you people are absurd. The fuck is wrong with you all? Are you not, I, I want, this is where I want to bite the neck off this bottle and walk around Chris's kitchen like this is the movie Gladiator. Are you not entertained? I'll fight your neighbors to the death at this point. That's how fired up I get about this. I just like that you're coming around on Josh Allen. Ugh. Finally seeing the light. I can't believe I'm here. I saw from watching Travis Wingfield's light on Josh Allen pre-draft. I love it. You're coming around. I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. But this is what I see when I take my just my, my lone analysis of this game. And just his play overall. He's showing significant growth. And if you can't see that, then I have no idea what the hell you're looking at. Look at this, just in this pass game, seven passing first downs. Seven of them through the air, Chris, and four of those passes were 10 or more yards. Not just dump-offs that went for 10 yards, but passes that went more than 10 yards in the air. That's, that is growth. When you consider that, again, we were fielding what could have been the worst offense in NFL history. The worst passing attack that the league had ever seen. Now all of a sudden we've got a quarterback who's operating from the pocket, operating on the move, throwing, I don't even want to call them passes, Chris. Some of these passes are just strikes. Decisive downfield passing. That's the thing that stood out by comparison from Sam Darnold to to Josh Allen. Sam Darnold is a very accurate thrower. But Josh Allen is far more willing to take his shots downfield because he wants to make big plays. He connected on what a, a lesser percentage of his downfield throws. But the yardage we got from them was bigger. There's bigger plays there to be had. And I'd argue that if he had more talent on that side of the ball, the plays would get bigger. Maybe you see touchdown throws instead of first down throws when he does chuck the ball 38 yards down the field. Is that fair? That is fair. Allen Allen has made a couple of throws this year, and I think with, I don't know if it's his accuracy or you get a slightly better wide receiver talent, but there are deep balls that he has made that are just out of the reach, of whether it's McKenzie or whether it's, it's Foster. But I just let, I, there's another, that was something that I, even I, because between you and me, I was mentally there at the game. Allen was throwing strikes on third down. Like, I was talking to Dan, who sits next to us on the opposite side of me, and you know we would we would talk during the game. Oh, it's like third and six, third and six, and I go, so you trust Josh? You trust Josh Allen to make this throw or Tyrod Taylor? <laughs> Tyrod Taylor wouldn't even make this throw. Allen has a gunslinger mentality, and he's he's gonna make the throw, and he he's been completing third down plays. And then, like I said earlier, the uh, I'll just throw deep and hope for a P.I. call, and we got it. Here's the most important thing to me that I think I think that the average fan may be missing. And this is something you all need to take, take into account when you're watching him play. Our wide receivers have struggled to get separation all season. But I'm seeing signs from Josh Allen and from Brian Dable that we are suddenly learning how to dictate... We're learning how to dictate play to a defense, which is something that the Buffalo Bills haven't been able to do for the better part of a decade. Here's what I see. Okay? 
Sunday, we go into a game against a Jets defense that we know is built with a lot of man de- defensive backs that excel in man coverage. Okay, that's their strong suit. Tremaine Johnson, Morris Claiborne, former first-round draft pick. Tremaine Johnson, um, he was one of the first DBs in recent history to be franchised almost multiple times. Buster Screen, not a great DB, but he's a good slot corner when it comes to playing man. He gets lost in zone. So what I see when I see this is I look at a wide receiver group that really for the better part of the beginning of this season, when our quarterback is just trying to operate from the pocket and just trying to take what the defense is giving him, we accomplished almost nothing. Sunday, Allen not only paced our offense with over 300 total yards, but our wide receivers were really making an impact early on in the game, and here's here's how we did it. They're starting to click in terms of play design and execution. Allen ran for 72 of that 101 yards rushing between the tackles. And if you go back and watch the plays, he had nine rushing attempts, Chris. And after five of them, the very next play was a passing attempt. And when you look at the design of the defense after he would break off one of those big runs... It forced the defense to switch out of man coverage and go to a zone. Because somebody had, they as a defense, had, they were reminded, oh shit, this quarterback can run. Now we have to go play zone so that that doesn't happen again. On the very next play, Josh Allen would drop back to pass, knowing that with the route running his wide receivers have, none of them are overly big. I mean, you, Robert Foster's a big guy, but he's not, he's not Kelvin Benjamin out there. Isaiah McKenzie's a small guy. Yet at the same time, he found them multiple times, again and again and again. The reason being is that when they would try to man up, that's when Josh Allen would say, okay, I see man coverage. I'm going to run the football. Sometimes it came, he didn't even make a read. He looked, and if his first read was covered, that's it. I'm running the football because I know the middle of the field is wide open because you're playing man coverage. Now, the very next play, you're not going to be dumb enough to play man coverage against me again. Now is when I'm going to trust that my wide receiver's route running is going to get them open somewhere, and they're going to get downfield to make a play. Chris, I haven't seen anything like this from the Buffalo Bills in the last five years that I've been watching this football team. Throwing the ball downfield? I probably have not seen it since. Not just throwing the ball downfield. But playing with nuance, a quarterback who understands, okay, this is, Chris, even earlier this season, he was, uh, Josh Allen was playing quarterback like a guy who was just doing what he was being told to do. Now you're seeing a quarterback who's getting to the line of scrimmage and he's realizing, okay, man coverage, I'm going to have a ton of room to run. I'm just going to take it. And then when they switch to zone, that's what I'm going to look to make a play with my arm. That alone is going to give them the flexibility. If he can improve on this and continue getting sharper at the things that he does, what he sees pre-snap, getting more sure of himself in the passing game and in those just his his understanding that, hey, I can make the defense do what I want them to do if I make them fear me. That alone is going to make him a more dangerous passer. I was just going to say that I really haven't seen our offense do anything like this probably since Drew Bledsoe was our quarterback. I mean, it's it's incredible to me, and I guess that's the thing that I'm most impressed by. And I understand that there's those of you out there who are probably shaking your heads right now listening to this. I get it. He still has some cowboy tendencies to iron out. That first interception, 
It's a poorly placed ball where he throws to Zay Jones, but he threw. In fact, I think both of his passes, Chris, that were picked off were thrown to Zay Jones. On the first one, he throws it to the inside shoulder back towards the middle of the field instead of throwing it to the sideline where only his wide receiver can get it. That's a mistake on him. It's just poor ball placement. At the same time, you look at his second one. He's rushed. You have the game. That, that one's a little more egregious. You've got the game on the line. <laughs> You've got a full minute to still operate, and you know you can throw the ball downfield. You're being flushed out of the pocket and on the run as you're going out of bounds. You can step out of bounds, lose a yard or two, live to fight another day, and stop the clock. Instead, he tries to throw the ball across his body back towards the middle of the field. Chris, that is a recipe for an interception 90% of the time. That's like Brett Favre. Exactly. But at the same time, he's a, I, I understand. He's got that gunslinger mentality, and it's something that they're really going to have to work with him on. Because in a, in a position like that, you're still the game is still in your grasp. You didn't have to throw that pass. You could have. Li- he needs to learn how to live to fight another day. That being said, I like the killer instinct that I see out of him. Chris, I, I just I haven't seen anything like everyone praised Tyrod Taylor. Oh well, his mobility is going to help him do this and that, and it'll overcome his inability to throw the ball. What say you now? Look at Josh Allen play football. I'll see you. That's right. You have nothing to say, and I'll see you all in hell. And that's why Josh Allen is this week's hero of the game. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence. The zero of the game, on the other hand, belongs solidly with special teams coordinator Danny Crossman. Hey, if you want me to take a dump in a box and mark it guaranteed, I will. I don't want to take a dump in a box, Danny. I want to take all of your stuff. All of your all of your belongings, and I want to put them in a box, and I want to just wrap it up with duct tape and put it in a U-Haul truck and drive you and all of your just... I get it. You're not a terrible special teams coach, but you are. <laughs> you're not. You're probably not a bad guy. I'd probably have a beer or two with you, as long as you didn't turn to Aaron Cromer and try to fight me over beach chairs. <laughs> well, I would. I mean, hey, I would. I would help you pack up this shit. Drive down to Lakeview and drive that U-Haul off a cliff into Lake Erie. <laughs> I just think that this guy's time, I mean, he's survived three coaching staffs. Multiple coaching staffs. It's just, it's time. I, I see a unit that's in disarray, that's disorganized. Nobody's, no one's assignment sound. And unfortunately, you can't blame the athletes because you can't fire all of them. You can't bring in a huge influx of new special teamers who does that fall on? It falls on the coach. An honorable mention for this probably would have been that defensive end for the Jets who put that cheap shot on our kicker, Stephen Hauschka. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> Henry Anderson? What a fucking dirtbag. Oh, and then everyone comes out and says, oh, well, you know, it's, it's a borderline play. Borderline? He wasn't near the play. He's a kicker. Are you kidding? It's a kicker. Yeah, you don't need to... You knew that that was the kicker, and you knew you don't need to put that kind of block on him. That's like me saying your grandmother made the mistake of walking into Walmart on Black Friday. I thought she was getting in between me, so I stiff-armed her to the ground. <laughs> it was borderline. I mean, I thought she was going to get in my way for this mic. That, that, that's the equivalent of what we're talking about here. It's nonsense. Absolute horseshit nonsense. The guy's half your size, and he somehow is on a football field and thinks that soccer... Is still like soccer plays are somehow warranted. That alone should tell you that you can't hit him like that. Oh, 
Chris. So we lost the game. The inaugural battle of Josh Allen versus Sam Darnold in the books, and we come out on the losing end. I mean, we're dude, somehow we're not mathematically eliminated from the playoffs yet, but it's pretty much it's pretty much done. Yes, we're we the Jets. I mean, it's only the, the Dolphins are living on borrowed time. I mean, it's it's really kind of winding down here. Things are going to close out in pretty brutal fashion. I feel like. With well, what do we have? Games against the Lions, the Patriots, and the Dolphins left on the schedule. Nailed it. <sighs> kind of depressing when you think about it. But with that said, there are still people out there, folks, believe it or not, who have it worse than Bills fans. And I'm going to give you our list of them for Week 14. You are one pathetic loser. This week's entry is inspired by a group of guys who we met this weekend. Big shout out to Preston King and his crew, who are new listeners to the podcast, going back just a week or two. Because I tweeted out that you single-handedly ruined our <laughs> tailgate for playing Panic at the Disco like they, a bitch. They started, they started following us on Twitter, and it turns out they made the trip from North Carolina to Buffalo for this past weekend's game. Which, why anybody would leave North Carolina to come to Buffalo this time of year is fucking beyond me. Okay, so kudos to you guys for that alone. Obviously, we gave him an invite to hang out with our crew. I mean, Chris, <laughs> when you come all the way from Carolina to Buffalo to watch us play the Jets, to take in the falls, the food, and the finest talent the Canadian Ballet has to offer, I mean, come on. You, you have to throw these guys an invite. They sound like our kind of people. They did because they had those. Those, uh, what the things? Booze yes, that was they those things. They even introduced us to a new piece of drinking technology known as booze cruisers. Folks, Google it. I swear to God, you won't be disappointed. I love mine. Again, thank you, Preston. So with that, we're having drinks with them, and we get to talking about football, and it turns out they're Washington Redskins fans. And they refuse to go to games because their stadium is a mess, and the owner is a fucking shit heel. And that's where we kick things off tonight. People who have it worse than Bills fans, anybody who has to root for a Dan Snyder owned franchise. Okay? For all of the all the love that Terry Pagula gets around the Buffalo area for what he's done here for the teams, I'm pretty sure each of us knows somebody out there who hates him. Who thinks that he's made poor GM hires, poor coaching choices, and that he's screwed up by not figuring out the stadium situation yet? I mean, for fuck's sake, I know this cranky old bastard on my softball team named Pat, who refers to Terry as, who refers to Terry as Terry Clampett. A throwback for those of you who don't know that reference to the Beverly Hillbillies, who got rich off oil, but he's a bumpkin and doesn't know anything. <laughs> but for all those complaints, we don't have to deal with Dan Snyder. Here's just a short list of the shitty things Dan Snyder's done in the 20 years he's owned the Washington Redskins. He colluded with local government to ban pedestrian access to the stadium. And nobody for an, I mean, a couple mile radius of the stadium could park cars. Think about how we tailgate his fans. He made it illegal to park cars on your property or to walk into the stadium from anywhere other than the areas designated by the team. And then he jacked up parking by $25 a spot. Chris, it's, 
And the worst part is he, he essentially paid off the local government to do it. It, it passed without a vote. There was never a referendum on it. It just sort of overnight happened. And then it eventually got repealed once people started suing the city over it, Chris. That's how ugly that got. Can you imagine Buffalo with no tailgating? Mm. No. I don't know how else we would enjoy the game on the field. Also, considering lawsuits, he sued season ticket holders that had signed multi-year agreements for season tickets but couldn't meet their obligation after the enormous economic collapse of 2008. He sued these poor bastards for breach of contract. A lot of these people were newly unemployed or had lost most of their life savings. And instead of simply bailing on them altogether, a lot of them reached out to the team to make them preemptively aware that, hey, I can't pay for this. I lost my job. I lost my 401k. Everything I have is now shit. One of them was a 72-year-old grandmother. It was the most publicized case of all. She lost her investment income in the crash, couldn't afford her tickets, reached out to the team and said, look, I'm living on $400 a month Social Security. Can I, can I, you please just resell my tickets, release me from my contract? Instead, they slapped her with a $66,000 default judgment. Are you fucking kidding me? This is a 72-year-old woman. They also banned all signs from the stadium. Think about, Chris, how many fans, little kids you see with their paper signs that they're super excited that they color with markers and glitter and crayons. The Redskins banned all of the signs from the stadium in 2009 when the team was 3-7. and seven. And he shut down a local radio station that was critical of the job he was doing as an owner. Because he's a fucking scumbag like that. He can't take criticism. Because he's a piece of shit, but he's also thin-skinned, which is the worst kind of piece of shit. But there's two here that take the cake, Chris, the most recent ones. First of all, Washington was the only team in the NFL to sell 9-11 related merchandise. In 06, Snyder's team sold team-branded hats with a patch shaped like the Pentagon on the side of them for $25 a piece, which made them the most expensive hat on the market at the time. And they said, look, listen, it's a, it's a 9-11 commemorative hat. You should all buy one. And yet not a dollar of the money got donated to any 9-11 related charity. He literally took it all and put it in his own fucking pocket. So why should we be surprised to find out that Dan Snyder did the same thing with the death of Sean Taylor? One of the NFL's most revered safeties. When you think about it, every year there's a special on Sean Taylor. He was a top level talent who was killed in his home in a home invasion. On the anniversary of his death, just a few weeks ago, the Washington Redskins website was selling Sean Taylor plush toys for twenty-something dollars a piece. None of those, none of those proceeds were going to go to any one of his foundations, his family, anybody who gave a shit about him. Just the team, Chris. He's literally, he's the guy has made profits off of the death of hundreds of people. How do you root for this man? Oh, my God. It's incredible to me. I feel bad for Redskins fans because no matter how terrible things get here in Buffalo and as ugly as our teams may be, no matter what happens here, we can all sleep soundly at night knowing that our owner isn't just a money-grubbing piece of shit like Dan Snyder.
directly into our week 15 preview buffalo bills against the detroit lions time 1 p.m eastern standard the place new era field in orchard park new york the weather is going to be in the mid 40s possible rain a ton of mud i guarantee you i'll be miserable the line chris if you would oh hold on i gotta i gotta pull it up i didn't even uh, i think we're i would think we're favored i mean I, I did two and a half. It, we're favored two and a half. Two weeks in a row, baby. Woo! First time all season. Look at that. And then who are who's providing the coverage in the crew, Chris? Jesus, I don't even know. I haven't looked at that yet. All right, we'll come back to that. But with that, we have a guest on who's going to help us kind of preview this matchup. One of the only people I know who's willing to admit in public that they're a fan of the Detroit Lions, Mr. Russell Brown. How are you doing? Uh, doing pretty well. How are you guys? <laughs> not too bad, not too bad. I hear it's cold up there in Michigan. Uh, yeah, it's like 20-something, maybe, if we're lucky. <laughs> guys, and, are you in the part of Michigan that's closer to Canada? Yeah, I'm probably about 30 minutes away from Canada. Oh, look at that. Something we share in common. So, for those of you who don't know or are new to the show... Russ provides some, he hosts and provides a lot of great content over at CoverOne.net. And he runs their draft podcast. Uh, so you guys are recording later tonight, right? What do you got on the docket? Well, we do the, uh, we do the NFL draft podcast on Tuesdays at, uh, 730. I mean, like it's never live or anything. But then we do the Cover One Buffalo stuff. So, which is like totally separate. And those guys focus strictly on like the bills and all the good stuff that they do. Um, so really the best way for anybody to ever stay up to date with it is by downloading the Cover One app, which you can do um, through your app store or on Google Play. Very simple. Just open it up, search Cover One, and you will find it. You download it and then get those push notifications. So whenever the content drops from the written pieces to the podcast, if you download it, you get that push notification and then it'll pop right up. Um, but yeah, so tonight we'll probably be doing something similar to what we're doing right now. Uh, as far as like talking uh, the Buffalo Bills and the Detroit Lions, because I'm our resident Lions fan, so I'm a giant loser. <laughs> and uh, um, and uh, we'll, we'll preview Sunday's game, and then I'll probably get asked some draft stuff, and uh, I don't know, whatever the guys have up uh, for me. So we'll see what happens. Now, Russ, is, Russ joined us last summer for our uh, draft preview portion of our show. And I, this year, Russ, are you... Am I, you know, correct in this? Uh, you're going to be attending the Senior Bowl this year. Is that right? Yeah, second year in a row. I went last year. Uh, it was funny. Um, I was in a layover in Atlanta, and uh, it kind of started clicking in my head. I was like, "Wait a minute! If Eric Turner's coming down right now from his flight, and I just got here in my layover in Atlanta from Detroit from DTW, he's got to be here." So I like hit him up. I was like, "Dude." are you flying in from Atlanta to Mobile like right now? And he goes, yeah, man. And so I like walk down like this certain area and I see him right there. So like it was cool. We kind of had a, you know, a bite to eat, caught up a little bit. And then we spent like the whole week down there in an Airbnb and we'll be doing the same thing this year. So it's a lot of fun. Mobile's the place to be for the Senior Bowl, no doubt. Uh, and especially for the draft. So it's a lot of fun. Oh, man, I can't imagine just being in that type of environment with uh, press credentials. I mean, that, that just that's got to be so much fun, especially for you guys who are just draft you know, draft nicks. That's, 
you guys do a ton of great work over there, guys. Go give him a follow. Uh, we're going to put his Twitter handle at the, in the description of the show, and we'll give him a shout-out here before we leave. But the reason for our conversation tonight is that our both of our disappointing teams have decided to have <laughs> themselves a football game this weekend. First of all, when I'm looking at the Lions in 2018, the first thing that jumps off the page to me is the um, just from week one to now in week 15, the injuries and the roster changes that you guys have seen. I mean, there's a lot of times I launch into a podcast like this and I start talking about an injury report. Your guys is so long, I just didn't want to bore our listeners with it because there's like 15 people on it. Yeah, what happened to you? Bad. What happened to you guys this season? It, uh, man, uh, I mean, first of all, what has happened over the last 27 years of my life, uh, it's been dreadful. Um, and for those that don't know, I'm actually a Bills fan and a Lions fan. I know that sounds weird, like probably first come, first serve. I'm a loyal Lions fan, right? But like my entire childhood, all I ever heard about was my dad bitch and moan about how Jim Kelly should be a Detroit Lion and this and that. And so like he admired Jim Kelly. I don't I mean, I don't know why I know there's Bills fans out there that are not the biggest Jim Kelly supporters, but it is what it is. But I also had um, a family member that had lived in Buffalo for a little bit of time. And she would always bring back like Bills like memorabilia. So I used to have like this Bills like crew neck long sleeve with like the Bills logo on it that said buffalo on it It was awesome and i I, like there's pictures of me and i'll have to find one when i go to my parents house but so like i root for both teams and this was like my dream scenario of like both teams being in the playoff hunt and then i would make the trip up to you know orchard park go to the game tailgate jump through tables and like support the team but then the game's in december which the weather's always questionable but also like my team sucks and the bills aren't doing very well this year, but yes, injuries are all over the place for the lions uh, to refer back to your question. So, um, I mean, Marvin Jones goes down and I was pretty much done with the season when they lost to the New York jets. you got embarrassed by a rookie quarterback in like Matthew Stafford played like absolute dog. You know what? And it was just bad. And then they traded away golden Tate. So I wrote a piece um, together and put something together after they traded Golden Tate, and I was looking at like the remaining options, and like, yeah, Marvin Jones was there, Kenny Galladay was there, but it was like, there is nothing here that like, makes it evident that they're going to replace Golden Tate in a positive way, so they better lean on the run game, which they did, it worked out okay, but they just don't have anything, and when you're going out there and you're getting a guy like Bruce Ellington, who flaked out in San Francisco, flaked out in Houston, is always, like, he's a walking medical cabinet, because he's always injured, and then you add all this other stuff. You know, you should have never franchised tag Ziggy Ansah, which was a bad idea from the beginning. You let Eric Ebron walk, or you cut him, basically. You could have kept him this year, but you cut him, and you don't have any replacements. I mean, Levine Tolio and uh, uh, there's Michael Roberts, who can't catch a pass and run a route, <laughs> and then you and then you have Luke Wilson, who is a Canadian guy that played up in Seattle and disappeared over the last two seasons, so you signed him, and he's done nothing. I mean, there's just nothing positive with this team, and it really gets like a... I can't even begin to like explain it. It's so frustrating because you have this quarterback that has all this talent, and then you look at these injuries, and it's like, well, that guy's not playing, that guy's not playing, that not... Like, all these guys that were drafted or signed... And here we are. We we literally have nothing. And it, when we get into the middle rounds of the draft, we don't do it. Like we just take the, the worst types of players. It's just so frustrating. You that that monologue of yours. You could have replaced 
you go back two seasons and you could have replaced every mention of the Lions with a mention of the Bills, and it would have sounded exactly the same, which I feel like is how you end up in this position. Plus, you guys just have this freakish streak and just rash of injuries. Now, you touched on something there that I guess where when I'm talking about your offense, this is where I want to start. First and foremost, your passing attack has just disappeared. This is what I see when I look over the statistics for the for the Detroit Lions. Weeks one through four, you had four 250-yard passing games and eight touchdowns through those four games. Since then, weeks five through 14, just one 250-yard passing game and just 10 touchdowns. Now, obviously, I, I, I think it's crazy to see a team. I mean, the Bills did it last year, and they caught a lot of flack for it. But they also, you know, when they traded away their number one wide receiver, kind of in midstream, as the season is kind of just getting off the ground. And we caught a ton of flack for it. But we went out and made a corresponding move to bring a wide receiver back in exchange to try to fill that hole. So at least there was some semblance of them, you know, hey, okay, we're going to get an asset, we're going to get a player. Mm-hmm. We need to try to get a player to at least try to fill that hole. When I look at what the, what the Lions did... They gave away probably the most consistent target that they had in their offense. I mean, to your point just a few moments ago, there's nobody who scares an opposing defensive coordinator left on your on your offense, at least from a wide receiver or a tight end position. Mm-hmm. What is it? Is that just it? Is it really just the lack of talent across the board that's just slumped your passing attack? Yeah, and I, I think it's a part of that, and then like the the media in Detroit is so so like adamant of putting this on the shoulders of Matthew Stafford, which they they should. No, I mean no doubt about it. He's got to start like you're 31 years of age, bro. You have to start doing something different. You have to start making receivers relevant. Like Tom Brady does it. Aaron Rodgers does it. You know, uh, Russell Wilson. I mean, Russell Wilson's incredible. I mean, he's making David Moore look like, you know, Robert Woods out there, you know. <laughs> and you, you've got all this talent on all these, you know, or all these other quarterbacks that are just making it work. And here you are, Matthew Stafford, just not getting it done. And he puts himself with, with his play and, and really his demeanor and the way he does things. He puts himself in a situation where he he falls into the category of a Joe Flacco, an Andy Dalton, a Matt Ryan. I mean, Matt Ryan's got all this talent: Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Mohamed Sanu, Austin Hooper, uh, the running backs, Freeman and Coleman. They've got all this talent. They're in the same boat as the Detroit Lions. They've got a worse record. You've got the Lions, though. You know who don't have that talent. They're winning football games and. Just Stafford just looks like he's taken a step back. So part of it is on his shoulders because I think right now he's on pace for a career low over the last seven or eight years of career low for touchdowns and a career low in passing yards. He's got three games left to go, and he might not break 4,000 yards. I mean, that's pretty crazy for a guy that was a consistent play-from-behind quarterback and throw for 4,000 yards. And and I, I just think, yes, the lack of talent's affecting him. I think it's affecting this offense. Um, and when you trade away Golden Tate, I mean, again, I, like I said, I was done at, at week one. I was ready for the draft in week one. And now here we are. You traded away your best receiver. Your number two receiver got hurt. He's done for the year. And you have this third-round receiver that really nobody knew about when you drafted him to begin with. You drafted him in Kenny Galladay, and he's just not emerging as a number one receiver. It's really showing that without talented guys around him, he doesn't really do anything. He doesn't create the separation needed downfield. 
he doesn't do anything during the games. The last two weeks, he's been irrelevant, and he's had every opportunity to shine. So now that makes me well, – and see, hearing you say that makes me think of our quarterback situation with Josh Allen. Right now, we came – when Josh Allen was allowed to start, the, the consensus was, okay, well, he's going to be the guy who's going to get uh, Kelvin Benjamin involved. That's going to – Sean McCoy is going to help carry the load. That Charles Clay, just based on, hey, they're a name and they're making a lot of money. I mean, it's something we've kind of beat up the last few weeks here on the podcast is that you would have assumed that those were going to be the guys that were going to help Josh Allen carry the load. And instead, it's Josh Allen finding ways to make these guys like undrafted free agent wide receiver Robert Foster, um, a guy, Isaiah McKenzie, who was a, a punt returner, who was cut. All of a sudden, these are dangerous weapons for our offense because Josh Allen's making them dangerous. So to hear that that's a complaint coming from a guy who, in Matt Stafford, was one of the most highly paid quarterbacks in the NFL is crazy to me. Now, just looking over your games, I see, when I look at the other side of the ball, or at least the other side of the offense here in terms of rushing, carry on Johnson, first and foremost, to hell with that guy. War Eagle. Roll tight. War Eagle. I, to hell with that guy, okay? <laughs> I, I, I just, it bothers me that... He showed up, and in my head I go, okay, you know, he, he's, he's there, but he didn't strike me as anything epic or world-changing. World but he provided you guys with a lot of balance to your offense. So at least you had mm -hmm. that. I mean, almost 1,000 all-purpose yards. He broke, he broke the 70-game streak. You guys went 70 games without a 100-yard rusher, and he broke it. Mm -hmm. Now he's injured. And the one thing I kept thinking about him when it came to the draft, I kept seeing people say, oh, carry on Johnson this and carry on Johnson that. You, better than anybody, you love the draft. Here's what I saw, because there were some warning signs. A, I'd seen him play, and I saw that while he is a consistent back when he gets the ball, he can produce stats when he's getting the ball 25 to 30 times a game the way Auburn was treating him. But you're talking about a guy who, in three seasons of college football, never played a full season. He was always hurt. He always had some sort of nagging injury, so he was banged up at some point every single year. And his final year with Auburn, they gave him more than 300 touches. And as you know, for running backs, that's just... That can be a, a death sentence. I mean, look at Eddie, the Eddie Lacy's of the world. Mm -hmm. So then the question I guess I have for you is, I, take, I expected seeing him missing the last three games... You guys were going to, I was going to look and I was going to see that you guys had just kind of struggled to put together any kind of a rushing attack. And instead, you've rattled off three 100 yard performances. So it's apparent that even as, as big of a talent as Carrion Johnson was for you guys, he wasn't the whole, you know, he's not the whole story here. So I guess my question is how are you manufacturing these 100 yard rushing games without, without your second round pick? Ah, well, I mean, LeGarrette Blunt's been not great, but he's been manageable. And Carrion's missed the last, was it three games? So he's missed the last three games. So up until then, he was consistent, you know, had started seven games, has played through ten games. Um, but, I, I mean, it's just like Carrion has got the, the ability to be kind of a game changer and be that consistent piece. And without him in the mix, you're finding that a guy like Zach Zenner, who emerged last week, and I think he ran for about 62 yards and a score, he kind of emerged out of nowhere. 
So Zach Zenner could very well be a guy that Buffalo sees quite a bit on Sunday because he was a change of pace guy. He brought some energy to the to the run game that was struggling. Theo Riddick is a guy that he's only got 100 yards rushing on the year, but he's caught 55 receptions. So he's back into the mix of being a slot receiver. Um, they try to do a lot of end-around stuff, and that's things that they like to do. But also Stafford is a guy that can escape the pocket and do some things, but he just hasn't, you know, it, it just hasn't really happened. But, you know, when their offensive line is together and as one, they are pretty good. They've taken a step forward in, in creating holes, and that was something last year where, you know, T.J. Lang and Graham Glasgow and, and um, Rick Wagner, these guys were, you know, one, two yards into the backfield, not one to two yards up the field. Oh, those so are your offensive lot. linemen. Okay, yeah, you're talking about not getting any push. Yeah, yeah, there, I could see yeah, that. there was no, there was no push, and, and but now they're in a pot, in a, in a position where, um, you know, Rick Wagner's out with a concussion right now. Uh, T.J. Lang is done for the year; he's on IR. Um, Frank Radnell's looked okay. T- Taylor Decker's out with a shoulder injury right now. He might not play. We're just dinged up all the way across the board. So that's why the, the, the trend right now is kind of going down, and we haven't been able to find the consistency within the run game. But when Carrion's healthy, which he might play on Sunday, I don't know. I, I don't see why you would play him. You're not going to make the playoffs. Sit him. He's gotten what he's, you know, he's done what he's needed to do. He's got the game um, in front of him now. He's got his feet wet. Just chill out and just tank the rest of the way is what I want them to do. Um, you sound but, an awful lot like my co-host Chris here. He's constantly he. Oh, we we have we've had debates. We've had full out fights on and off the air about this concept of tanking. But but I, I hear what you're saying. It does make well, a lot of sense to shut him down if there's nothing to be gained from it. Yeah, well, and you know, put it in a Bills perspective. I mean, you guys are four and nine. At best, you guys can go seven and nine. What does that do for you? Seven and nine doesn't do anything. Right now, you guys are in position to go sixth or seventh overall. Take Jonah Williams out of Alabama. But if you win the next three games, you're going to be seven and nine. You're going to be picking sixteenth or seventeenth. Jonah Williams ain't there anymore. So now you're forcing your hand for a guy like potentially Greg Little out of Ole Miss. Who, I mean, I'm just saying, I think you guys, as much as you need a wide receiver, I think you need to consider getting an offensive tackle and putting some protection in there. And I say Jonah Williams because of Brian Dabble. There's a lot of um, just perfect fit there, and a guy that I think would translate to right tackle. I know why draft the right tackle that early in the draft. Well, when you get a guy that's familiar with your offensive coordinator, it makes sense. So for me, I think it's best for you guys to not win another football game and put yourself in position to get one of those guys because you're not going to get a receiver I, at six. There's not one worthy of I, I wish you could see the face Chris is making me right now. I want to bite I want to bite his nose off. <laughs> I swear to God I want to come I across say that table. I say that every week. Once you hit seven wins, just throw it in the tank. Tank, get a yeah. better pick. So, so, so yeah. with a, so you're going up against the Buffalo Bills defense that's missing probably its biggest playmaker of the season in Matt Milano. He's done for the year. And you just mentioned something about end rounds and how they like to get creative with how they break things up. Are well, we maybe- I wouldn't say all of the time. I mean, Jim mm. Bob Cooter is very one-dimensional. Very Get ready for a very boring offense and a lot of punts. So if you have a punter in fantasy football, you better load up <laughs> because you're going to get a ton of points. So I'm just thinking about this in terms of I'm going to be starting a reserve linebacker next to my rookie linebacker who has gotten better with his recognition over the season. And, but play recognition and you know just kind of the game coming to him, kind of the way it had to come to carry on Johnson. The game coming to him has been a little bit slower. He's a freak athlete. He's a freak of a, a human being. And at 19, he's very young. But it's been slow going in terms of his recognition, play recognition, how he's, you know, he's still learning to read and react 
at the speed he needs to to really be that franchise middle linebacker that we drafted him to be. So what you're saying is that you guys aren't going to call the type of creative offensive game plan that's going to take advantage of that. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, yeah no, not at all. I mean, there's going to be a lot of quick passes into the flats. There's going to be quick passes um, you know, behind the line of scrimmage that are going to be you know, looking for – uh, yards after the catch that's where Bruce Ellington comes in he's got 23 receptions in four games with Detroit which is a very good pace for you know about six receptions a game but he's got about like 30 yards in every single game so he's not getting anything and he's not doing anything like Golden Tate what would have been doing for us the entire season so that's something you're going to see a lot of throws to the sidelines they like to throw a lot of comeback routes and do those types of things because if when Jim Bob Cooter came in he came in with Jim Caldwell as the head coach, and their their job, their main focus was to find ways to limit the turnovers for Matthew Stafford because Matthew Stafford was throwing 15, 16 interceptions in a season. They came in, he was throwing, you know, 11, 10, 9. So they prevented, you know, five or six interceptions. So what they needed to do was prevent him from throwing in the middle of the field. So I would not even worry about it too much because you have Edmonds who's got the range, he's got the, the athletic ability to cover the flats, get you know behind into the backfield and do those types of things throwing in the middle of the field is probably not going to happen that often and they don't have a tight end an athletic enough tight end that's going to make any type of a difference i never thought i would say i miss eric ebron but holy (laughs) crap do i miss eric ebron because he was athletic and he was a mismatch for linebackers they don't have that now michael roberts was 67 280 tolio 66 270 and Luke Wilson is like a walking string bean, but he's not very fast. I mean, he's white and he's slow. So, I mean, we're, we're just in a situation where you guys don't have much to worry about defensively. Like, we were beating the Arizona Cardinals 3-0 at halftime last week, and the only touchdown that we got was Zach Zenner at the fourth quarter, and we had a pick six. So as long as Josh Allen doesn't turn the football over, you guys would be all right. Well, I was going to, first of all, I was going to ask, do you guys want Charles Clay? Because at this point, I'll just give him, we'll just give him to you. If it was up to us, I would actually just give you Charles Clay. You can have him at this point. I think everyone here in Buffalo has pretty much washed their hands of the guy. I mean, for $9 million, trust me, I know you're talking about your lack of tight end talent. We bought what we thought was going to be high end tight end talent, and that didn't happen. So, speaking of Josh Allen, the one question I want to bring to you on defense. I look at what you did to Josh Rosen last week. He had 240 yards. I'm assuming a lot of it was just dink and dunk, run after the, run after the after the catch kind of stuff. Because I see he threw no touchdowns. He had an interception, 240 yards, 63% completion percentage though. Now, when I I guess what I'm trying to figure out is what your defense is going to bring to the table to try to stop a quarterback like ours. I mean, last week's game he showed off the fact that. He's obviously, now he's becoming known for his footwork and what he can do and how he can hurt you with his legs. But this was the first time this week against the Jets that I saw him finally grasp the fact that he could use his legs to set up passes on the next play or uh, you know, two plays from now. How, how equipped is your defense to handle a threat like that? Uh, well, I mean, we can stop the run, no, no doubt, but we stop, you know, more of that traditional run. Since we've acquired Damon Harrison, um, which I do have a piece on CoverOne.net about, the Detroit Lions have become one of the best run defenses in football. Before that, they were the 31st ranked run defense in the NFL. I'm sorry, 26th, 26th ranked 
run defense in the NFL. So they were atrocious. They were god-awful. It was terrible. I mean, guys were averaging about five yards per carry against us. Since we've acquired Damon Harrison, it's down to about 3.3 yards per carry. And on average, I think we are allowing league best or league, yeah, league best 48, 47 yards uh, on the ground per game. So he's made a significant impact on our run defense. And that will be something that I'll, I'll pay attention to very closely. What can they do to stop Shady McCoy, Chris Ivory, Marcus Murphy? But Josh Allen. Well, luckily probably- for you, McCoy is not going to be playing, or at least they say he's questionable. And I swear to God, a 30 year old running back with a hamstring injury, don't do it. If you didn't trade him because you saw him as being relevant next year, don't do it. Just put him on the shelf. It doesn't matter. And Chris yeah. Ivory may not play either. So you might. We just activated a practice squad running back today, which tells you that Marcus Murphy and uh, Keith Ford are going to be in our backfield at this point. Oh, my God. What's the over-under on this game? Because if it's like... Chris said it's pl- the Bills are favored by two. Hold on. I'll get oh. you. I'll get you well, the, but so I'll get you the over under. So as he's fishing for that, I guess my thing is take the, un- take the under. Our, take the under. Vegas, say, our, take the under. <laughs> our running backs haven't been a threat to anybody. Josh Allen has been pacing the team. He's actually, if you look at NFL rushing statistics, both he's quarterbacks running and running back backs, <laughs> he's, he's one spot above LaShawn McCoy in rushing yards for an entire season, and he's a frigging quarterback. So I guess my point is, when I watch how he plays, he's going to use his legs to set up those throws. And I know instead of throws to guys like Robert Foster, who... And last week, the other thing I saw is that he's finally grasping how to throw to the seams. How are you guys in defending those types of throws? Well, Darius Slay does a decent job with it. Opposite, though, honestly, I don't even know. I think we've got a... I, like I, we've gone through so many different defensive backs on the opposite side of Darius Slay. I don't even know who we have over there anymore. I think it's Mike Ford, who was a UDFA guy, but to be honest, as long as it's not Tease Tabor, we've got a shot, but I think you guys will be alright if you go to the normally Slay's on the on the right side of the offense, so the, the left defensive back position. If you guys attack the left side of the field, you should be winning every single time, because that's normally where Ziggy Ansah aligned to, to pass rush he won't be playing. You guys should be okay. So I would have to think um, Josh Allen will probably I, – I would have to assume Josh Allen has a deep ball in this game that connects for a touchdown. Fantastic. So if you're so down on this, but you're calling for deep ball touchdowns but also telling everyone to take the under, here's my question. What's your so prediction course. for the game? Final score. Just take a shot at it. Um, let's see. You guys scored 20 – what was it? 27-23 or 27-20 against the Jets last week? Yeah, yeah, we lost 23-27. Okay, so I'll say you guys put up 20. And the Bills 20, the Lions 17. Take the under. That's fair. Russ, as always, a pleasure. Tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter and uh, on social media. At Russ NFL Draft, make sure you smash the uh, follow button. That's on Twitter. Uh, I have an Instagram and a Facebook, but you guys don't want that. That's a drunk S. <laughs> And, um, yeah, no, that's, that's pretty much it. All right, we want to thank Russell Brown for coming on. He's on Twitter, at RussNFLDraft. And also, sorry for that shitty audio. <laughs> sorry, we just had a, a mix-up with his uh, recording, so I'm sorry you had to sit there and listen to shit for 20 minutes. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> 
See, every now and again, we have to eat crow over here. Chris, your prediction for this weekend's game. Oh, Jesus. Uh, I don't know. A meteor on the field? <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, that wouldn't be good. That means I would be dead. I'm going. Uh, it's probably going to be low scoring, like what uh, Russ was saying. Take the under if you're betting. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it's going to be uh, 21, 21 to 13 Buffalo. 21-13. You know what? I like that. I'm going to take it a step farther. I, I think this is the Josh Allen show. If what he's saying is true and this team is just rudderless, just out there, just kind of hanging out, I think that this defensive line and our defensive core is good enough to stop their running backs. And our de- our secondary is solid. Solid enough to take away a group of people who doesn't really have a true playmaker. Galladay? Kenny Galladay. That's it. That's <laughs> what you have. You're bringing a guy named Galladay in here. That's it? That's what you're selling to me? Okay. I'm not afraid of you. I think it's 24-13. The Bills win going away. Josh Allen has his highest career passer rating to date. Ooh, that's a bold that's a bold prediction there. Seagram's bet? No, I'm not doing no Seagram's bet on that. <laughs> you, are you kidding me? Folks, thank you so much for tuning in tonight. We have to ask you. Every year we do a Festivus celebration. I mean, who doesn't love Festivus? For those of you out there who don't watch Seinfeld, Festivus is a celebration for the rest of us. It's a celebration of the holiday that isn't so materialistic like Christmas. Instead, it's it's about getting together with the people you care about, and it kicks off with the airing of grievances. This will be the fourth annual Festivus celebration here at the Rockpile Report, and we need all of you to get a hold of us and let us know that The point of Festivus and the airing of grievances is to remind everybody about all of the ways they've disappointed you in the past year. That way you head into the new year with no real negativity weighing you down. We ask all of our listeners to tell us, Twitter, email, get a hold of us and let us know. What about the 2018 Buffalo Bills really ground your gears the most? We'll be reading the the best and the funniest on our show next week and Out of the ones we read, there's going to be a few selected to receive a free large pizza, compliments of Wise Guys Pizzeria here in South Buffalo. It's a win-win for everybody. You get to vent a little negativity, maybe win some free pizza. We get to laugh a lot, drink some beer, and just decompress after what has been a trying football season. Chris, I don't think it it doesn't get much better than that, does it? No, it does not. Festivus for the rest of us. Can't wait. Take your Festivus, your Festivus grievances and tweet them at us at Rockpile Report on Twitter or email them at RockpileReport716 at gmail.com. And make sure that you throw Russ a follow at RussNFLDraft on Twitter. Guys, we got to get out of here. It's been a lot of fun. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. Thanks for stopping by the Rockpile Report. And for the love of God, don't drink anything someone hands to you in an unmarked container.